you know, life in general has made it possible for us to live and not be present anymore. Various revolutions, the agricultural revolution, the industrial revolution, and now the electronic revolution, with, with each one of those changes in the way we work, in the way we use our bodies to live, we do less movement and we are less present. There's, which is what, the, that was the example I was saying before of how do you get your breakfast when you're an ancient human? You have to be present, otherwise you will not get breakfast, you will be breakfast. Hello, and welcome back to the Physical Freedom Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Mead, where it's all about living and moving pain-free, becoming more embodied so you can become strong, capable, and confident in your body so you can live a meaningful life and ultimately become the strongest version of yourself. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am excited, very excited today to get the opportunity to sit down with a very special guest who is Mary Bond, and she is the author of one of my absolute favorite books, top five books on really starting to understand your body better, which I believe is one of the keys to physical freedom is developing a kind of physical literacy. And Mary is an educator, an author. She also teaches other uh, massage therapists and body workers, and she's been gracious enough to uh, sit down with us today and share some of her wisdom. So thank you so much, Mary, for agreeing to do this with me today. Oh, my pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So I would love to just kind of dive in and start off with you know, maybe you could tell people a little bit about uh, the work that you do, maybe a little backstory of how you got into this work and, and what it is that you do in the world. Right. <clears throat> well, backstory. The basic backstory is that <clears throat> I was a master's, I got a master's degree in choreography and dance very long time ago. And shortly after that, I made, met a woman named Ida Rolf. Some people may have heard of her. She was oh yeah. She was the developer of um, structural integration, and it got the nickname Rolfing. I went to a demonstration that she was giving, and I was fascinated with what she had to say about gravity, the body, and gravity. And partly, this was interesting to me because my ballet teacher at the time was saying the same thing. And this was news, you know, in in many years of studying movement, nobody had ever talked about gravity. Now they do all the time now, but this was the late 60s. So I just asked her if I could come to her training. And, you know, people waited months to get into her training. But she sort of, I don't know, I told her I didn't want to learn to do the work. The work is um, manual therapy. It's very physical. And working with connective tissue of the body to release patterns, habitual patterns of poor use and compensations for injury and so on. So <clears throat> I had no idea that I would end up learning to do it. I just wanted to learn to see what she saw in bodies. You know, I thought this was fascinating. Right. So the problem was that she 
she had difficulty teaching people to see. So the fact that that's what I wanted out of it intrigued her, I guess. So she let me come to the class. Mm-hmm. And eventually, long story short, I did get trained and I spent um, a long time, decades, <clears throat> doing the manual therapy combined with movement re-education. <clears throat> she understood that when you worked with the body's tensions and released them so that a person had more uh, potential to move in various ways and more potential to be upright, that people needed some way of maintaining it, some kind of movement program. So that's what interested me, of course, in the first place was movement. So there was a kind of a movement program aligned with Rolfing in those days. And I, I got involved with that. And then I took a long break I went away from all that work for a long time. Yeah, I remember hearing a little bit of that backstory in the book and just thinking how amazing it would have been to train with someone like Ida. And I think that perspective is so important because a lot of times we take our bodies to, you know, body workers, massage therapists, chiropractors, and we kind of expect them to fix us, right? Like put my body back together and not realizing, oh yeah, I actually need to also take responsibility for caretaking of my body and learn new patterns, learn new ways of inhabiting myself so that, you know, I can take advantage of the space or the new, you know, information from, you know, getting a treatment. Would you say that's kind of similar to the approach that you're talking about? Well, yes, I I would. But the thing is, people are so different. The the client who comes to a Rolfing practitioner, they're not all the same. Mm -hmm. Many many of them are coming because they understand that working deeply in the body is working deeply in the self. Right. And that many of the releases and experiences they have on a, a Rolfer's table are profoundly transformative of the life as a whole. And there are people who understand that and are there for that reason, or perhaps they came for another reason, but somehow they get it, you know? They, somehow they get and, it. Oh my God, this is really changing the way I see the world. Right. I remember the first um, structural integration session that I had, it was from a woman named Carolyn Hoof in Portland, and she did this work on my front line. And I think it was the first session, might've been the second session. You probably know better than me when you're doing that kind of like, you know, that is it a 10 series or 12 series? There's different schools. There's different schools, right? Well, she, she was working on my frontline and I experienced this incredible release of energy. And then shortly after I was going for a walk and I could not stop laughing. Mm. I just had this incredible laughter that was just bubbling up inside my body. And I never experienced just spontaneous laughter for no apparent reason. You know, there was, there wasn't like a funny joke or something happened or anything like that. I just could not stop. And it occurred to me like, yeah, I was working on this joy that had not been fully expressed in my body or that I didn't have access to. So that was one of the first experiences for me where I realized kind of what you're talking about is, yeah, when you're working on the body, you were working on the self, right? 
That's so sweet. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. It's, it's exactly what I'm talking about. But there are also a lot of people who can't go there or don't want to go there because that isn't, that isn't where they are in life. That isn't their life's purpose or whatever. Sure. They just have low back pain or a foot problem or a neck problem or so on and so forth. So the standard Rolfing approach is to do the 10 series or the 12 series, <clears throat> whichever school it is, and um, organize, we think of it as organizing the body as a whole so that <clears throat> whatever the complaint is tends to go away, except that doesn't always happen. Right. <laughs> it's like a person will come in for a session and they have this annoying hip pain, right? And the goal of the first session is to open the breathing. And so if you start working on their chest, they're wondering, you know, why, why are you doing that? I'm, I'm pointing at my hip, <laughs> you know? Right. So right. <clears throat> there's, a, there's an art to educating people, you know, saying, well, I'm, perhaps my, I might approach it as you would get better oxygenation in your body as a whole if we open up the rib cage first and then whatever we do in the hip in a little while <clears throat> will have a better chance of being sustainable, which is true, but, you know, somebody doesn't know that. Or we could also say, well, if we work on your rib cage and get it lifted off your hip, let's see what that does to the feeling in your hip. Right. So well, engaging them in, in, in the process is really important. Yeah. But I said there are people who just won't go there and they, all they want is, is for you to fix them. <clears throat> and so mm -hmm. there, uh, there seems to be a tendency in some structural integration schools to go in the direction of fix-it work. So, and I think that's kind of unfortunate because we are really, Dr. Rolf's philosophy is about the whole, the whole body, the whole person. And, you know, that it's important right. you know, that, that, we, that we keep that perspective because we're the only people who are offering that. Yeah, I think that is, it's so, so vital because... Otherwise, we're kind of, we're back to, you know, our kind of Cartesian reductionist model of, you know, compartmentalizing things. And, you know, you have this thing in this box, and then you have this thing in this box. And the reality is we're whole human beings that have, you know, our emotional body, we have our mindset, our stories, our our traumas, our, you know, our experiences that we bring with us to our bodies. And I have found that the deeper transformation happens when you show up with being willing to dive into all of that stuff, as well as, you know, not throwing out like the biomechanics and things like that aren't important. Yes, like addressing those things as well. But, you know, we have to look at the bigger picture and the whole fabric of your life. And that's why, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I think it's probably even in, in your book, if I remember correctly from, from Ida Rolf is the way you walk through a room is the way you walk through life. Right? Well, that's true, but 
wasn't an Ida Roth. That wasn't? Quote. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it was a woman named Vivian Jay, who oh. was a movement. She was a movement instructor for the Roth Institute for, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. She passed away a couple years ago, <clears throat> but that's what she used to say. And, you know, it's, it's, it might as well have come from Ida right. because it's the truth of Ida Roth's philosophy and approach to healing. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's enlightening for me because I always, yeah. I've heard so many people attribute that quote to her. Um, but when I first, when I first heard that, um, and it's good to know who the real, real source is, but when I first heard that light bulb went off in my brain and it really started to connect the dots for me more about, yeah, how, how you move is really how you live. And, you know, you can't, you can't separate the two things and there's so much that you can gain from you know really not just looking at movement from a perspective of like yeah i'm gonna work on my glutes or i'm gonna strengthen my you know abs or or whatever right like these things that we want to do with our bodies <laughs> um but you can literally while you're practicing movement be embodying and and cultivating who it is that you feel you are or who it is you feel like you want to be more of um mm -hmm. in the world and i feel like that is to me anyway that's a more interesting way of of approaching physical practice well it is to me but you know like i said it's people are at different places in their life and want different things out of right out of their fitness program I'm working with a guy right now who's doing a little boxing for fitness. You know, it's kind of a trendy thing to do right now. I'm doing it myself, actually. Oh, yeah? So I, oh, cool. I can, I can say more about that in a minute. But anyway, this guy is pounding away on his heavy bag. He has a very narrow chest. And he has, is very aware of his, his posture and his body and his use of his body. <clears throat> so he's... And, you know, careful not to hyperextend his spine. Mm -hmm. He wants, wants to be more upright and full in his presentation and in his feeling about everything. But the tendency is to hyperextend the spine in, in order to achieve a lift. Right. From the yeah. lower back, mm -hmm. basically, is kind of... Yeah, yeah. And even around the heart to hyperextend gotcha. the typical is people say shoulders back it's the worst instruction you can ever give somebody <clears throat> but anyway so he doesn't want to hyperextend so there's there's this guy working on this this particular uh, set of circumstances in himself mm -hmm. so in boxing the tendency is to hunker down a bit in the core and and you know you drive the punch from your feet but the tendency is to drive it around a shortened midline. Mm. So he's, the guy is not doing him, himself any favors, nor am I if I box that way. You know, right. we're not going to go in the ring, either one of us, <laughs> you know, ever. Yeah. But Me neither. So, you know, we're only, we're only hitting various kinds of bags and things. So the question is, do you keep the standard boxing form that your teacher is showing you and demonstrating 
and that works, you know, because that's the boxing culture. Right. Or do you strive to sustain your upright midline and box from a different set of muscles, a different coordination where, where the, the work comes more from the back body mm. without closing in around the front body. Right. Okay, so that's how, that's the kind of thing that um, you have to have a person who's willing to slow down and feel that deeper connection in themselves and what's good of that, the good of, of having a long midline is it allows you to see the, the world from a, a broader perspective. You, you're literally, your eye line is at a different height when you're, when you're halfway down, right? So you're looking out at the world instead of up at the world. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just one example, but it, it's, it's what I'm trying to show is that right. you need somebody who's willing to go there and, and be astounded that they see the world differently this new, after feeling this new, new, <clears throat> new sensations in their body. And then say, okay, well, when I go to boxing or I go to whatever the high-intensity workout is, I'm going to stay with an open body while I do these other exercises. They, they may not, I might not be as fast initially, you know. I might not even be as strong initially. But I'm working on a deeper part of myself, not just a skill. Right. It's not just about the boxing. Right, right. So it's about something else as well. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it's not okay to just go be a boxer. It's totally, totally okay. It's just that sure. um, if you're working on sort of your somatic resilience, your somatic refinement, <clears throat> then you have a choice about it. Right. And do you find that for most folks that they start, because certainly for me, you know, my first motivation well my first motivation was i wanted to be stronger and more skilled in my movement i wanted to be able to do certain things on you know like gymnastic rings or in martial arts but then i re was reaching a wall of pain and injury so then that became my motivator to try to fix that but then it wasn't until kind of going deeper into okay well what's causing and driving this dysfunction for me that I started to appreciate more of some of the things that you're talking about that somatic um, resiliency and you know sensory acuity and you know inhabiting my body in a different way and I then I started to really appreciate those things but I didn't get to it first like it wasn't the first thing um, driving me do you find that's usually the case for most people as they start with something like that and then they begin to appreciate or what has been your findings with your work sounds like for you uh pain was what motivated you absolutely yeah and that i think that is true for lots of people whether they do whether they <clears throat> come to that through uh, a fitness program or a dance program or something that they they're using their body in a extreme way and somehow they don't really know how to do that or they injure themselves right in the course or in my case, I didn't even realize what I was doing was moving my body in an extreme way. I just thought like, of course, my body should be able to do this. Like, 
Of course. Well, it's very popular. You know, I think extremity is very popular because Mm. we sit all day long, which is crazy. The body's not designed to be sitting all day long or even ever, (laughs) really. You know, And, and so then I think that many people are attracted to extreme sports of some, some form or another. Um, just because of that, that life in general doesn't call for movement. You know, you turn a key or you push a button. Right. That's all. So our bodies are starved for movement. They're starved for physical experience. So, you know, that's what we do. We go for it and we, we do it a bit too much. You know, more than... Because think about it. You, you, you moved great when you were three, four, five years old. You know, no right. you could do everything. <clears throat> and then they yep. sat you down in a schoolroom, and <clears throat> that was pretty much the end of it. Yeah. So your body is no longer really organized for moving well. Yeah. Sometimes I think about what, what would my life be like if that never happened? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what would I feel like right now? What would I be capable of? Then thinking about that starts to make me kind of angry. <laughs> There's an exercise I give um, to students or in classes. <clears throat> Maybe your listeners can do it for themselves, not if they're driving. It's just to consider that you just got up in the morning. Okay. And you're going to go fix yourself something, some coffee or, you know, whatever it is that you have to eat in the morning. And you, you, go in the bathroom and comb your hair, whatever it is you do, just a simple routine. So if you pantomime that, just for a a few moments, just pantomime some of the movements of that routine, probably we shouldn't, you know, do it during the podcast, but do it sometime. You can, you can pause and come back to this later or yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Then compare it with another scenario, which is that um, you are an ancient human. You live on a savanna or in a cave or someplace very primitive. And so if you wake up in the morning, you have to go kill your breakfast or pick your breakfast, forage your breakfast. Right. So the movements involved in that are extremely different. Mm. And just think about it. <clears throat> lots, lots of whole body movement, lots of crouching, lots of reaching, all kinds of movement that, that modern humans only do in the gym. If we're lucky, <clears throat> if we do some of those things in the gym, you know. Right, right, yeah. right. So there's one other thing to consider here is the, your perceptual acuity in both cases. So in the, in the modern day scenario, your perception is pretty much in front of you. If you turn to the right or left to do something, you're still looking and considering what's in front of you, maybe three feet away max. Right. There's not a lot of distance and a lot, not a lot of directionality in your visual field. But if you were an ancient human, you would have to have eyes in the backs of your head you know, yeah. you, have to, you have to know what's going on 360 around you because you are prey just yeah. as much. Right? Your life depends on it. 
basically. Mm -hmm. So that really changes the way you inhabit your body because when, when the perception is very narrow and focused in front of you, your whole body becomes more narrow and more short. Let's talk about that because I, I feel like there's, there's a connecting the dots there with like how myopic our worlds are and how, you know, we're always staring at screens. We're always, you know, like you said, three feet in front of us. What a, you know, obviously that has an effect on our, literally on our vision and, and, you know, the straining of our, our eye muscles, but how does that affect our nervous system and, you know, our experience of our bodies? Hugely. Yeah. I mean, for, for one thing, more and more and more children are wearing glasses. Yeah. So that's, that's true. So I don't, I'm not an expert on vision at all, so I can't really talk to that. But I do know that when you have a broad perceptual field, when you are doing your life, but still aware of what's behind you, just a little, making just a little awareness of the space behind your body, it's, it's as if you have a sphere of awareness around you. And, and this is actually true. It's called, uh, the neuroscience has called it um, peripersonal space. Mm -hmm. And that peripersonal space is, in, is recorded in spatial cells within your brain. So you know what's behind you to the right or behind you to the left. Perfect example is when you um, <clears throat> parallel park your car. Mm -hmm. You know where that rear bumper is, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, if you hopefully. Okay. So your peripersonal space in that case is beyond three feet reach. It's, it, it's plastic enough so that it can encompass the rear bumper of your car. So there are brain cells reading the rear bumper of your car during that backing up and wiggling in period. So your, your body is not just stop at skin level, mm. right? Yeah. The ability to be present in the space around you is huge, really. Right. The space kind of in your car or in a room, it almost is like, becomes an extension of your body in some way. Yeah, and if you can feel it, if you allow yourself to feel the space around you, just, you know, use your peripheral vision a little bit to notice the colors and shapes to either side of you. And mm. you know where you came from, you know that you walked in and sat down at a certain spot. So you know what was behind you when you because you walked through it to sit down. So there's an awareness of space that you all, it only takes a fraction of a second to say, oh, here I am. I'm in a, a three-dimensional universe here. I don't just live in this little short tunnel between me and my device. Right. If you do focus on the tunnel, you will feel your body get shorter and narrower. It's just absolutely one-to-one. -one. So you'll feel tension building up more probably in the front of your body i'd imagine i don't know where you would just, it, depends. it just depends. depends on the yeah. person but you you will definitely get smaller hmm. it's it's not a necessarily that people would notice it although i think they would i think it 
it changes your posture when you have an awareness of the space around your body. Right. And I think you certainly start to notice it when you're, you know, what I love is that you're inviting us into broadening our perspective, broadening our awareness. So then, you know, we can become aware of when that's happening, when we are narrowing and constricting, because yeah, maybe if you, maybe if that's been the case for you for decades, (laughs) um, you don't realize what else is possible and what other experiences you might be able to have access to. Right. So just going back to my boxing example, Mm -hmm. you could box only being aware of the target, which is the same as only being aware of your device. Mm. Or you could take a moment to be aware of the space around your body and box from that perspective. And it will change the coordination of your movement. Yeah, that's huge. I also, I found too, you know, in our worlds where we are so hyper-focused, so hyper-stimulated, that has this effect on our nervous system that we may even see as, as, you know, again, like as normal of this kind of low level stress kind of fight or flight. And I found too, when you just take time to orient yourself to the space around you, it could literally be just like looking around, looking with your peripheral vision, you know, taking a second, like you're saying this feel like, okay, I'm, I'm here now. Mm-hmm. I find there's, there's a softening happens um in your body it's like almost like we evolved to want to be present (laughs) you know and connected to where we are oh i think we i think we had to be present you know life in general has made it possible for us to live and not be present anymore various revolutions the agricultural revolution the industrial revolution and now the electronic revolution with, with each one of those changes in the way we work and the way we use our bodies to live, we do less movement and we are less present. Mm. There's, which is what the, that was the example I was saying before of how do you get your breakfast when you're an ancient human? You have to be yeah. present, otherwise, you will not get breakfast. You will be breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a different kind of breakfast, <laughs> not the kind you want. So tell me, you know, someone that wants to maybe explore, we talked about, you know, a couple of things that I think would be really valuable for people even just to start exploring, but what are some of the other, you know, foundational principles or maybe different modalities or exercises people might be able to explore that are wanting to expand their somatic uh, resiliency? feeling more at home in their bodies, um, feeling more access to move more freely? What would be some of the starting points that you would suggest for folks? I think one thing that's, that's good is to do something that you would never dream of doing. You know, it's like, let's say... Like boxing? <laughs> like boxing or like yeah. dancing or samba or rock climbing or aikido. You know, yeah. some kind, take up some kind of movement practice that is like let's say you grew up tap dancing or dancing right lots of little girls do that so they would probably profit by doing some martial arts or 
you know, something, something different, something that has right. a different energy and a different kind of movement. So that helps you understand other people's bodies better when you have more <clears throat> versatility in your movement. Right. So that's one thing. Yeah, I can certainly, I can certainly say that I benefited immensely from, you know, for me, it, that tendency is toward the more, you know, um, harder things like martial arts or climbing or, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I benefited immensely from exploring dance, you know, in a sensual, fluid kind of expression. And that's been incredibly valuable for me. It's, it's still awkward for me. (laughs) Um, but it's getting a little less awkward over time. I will say that. Awkward means uh, you're learning something. That yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. I think it's fine to to to, and I think it's fine to be confused. That's also a state of learning. Mm. Yes, I can definitely attend to that confusion. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So there's lots of of different kinds of. Um, dance, meditative dance programs. You can just put in dance meditation and you'll come up with a couple pages. There's authentic movement and continuum movement. And, you know, I don't know. There's tons of different ways of approaching that. It's really, it's, it's really a good thing to do. Slows you down, gets you more aware of yourself. Yeah. Beautiful. And of course, Feldenkrais work. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, it's it's something that I've explored a little bit. I actually had, um, I don't know if you're familiar with an author. His name's Todd Hargrove. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just had him on the podcast. We talked about a lot of great stuff like body mapping and sensory motor amnesia. And he uses Feldenkrais as, and a lot of these developmental movement slowing down practices to help you kind of re-explore, reintegrate different areas of your body. Yeah. Is is Feldenkrais a modality that you incorporate with a lot of your work as well? No. Okay. Not at all. It's a huge study. It's like a five-year program. It's it's very, very good, but gotcha. it isn't what I did. But I recommend it to people. You know, it's like uh, for many people, that's that's a way in because the movement is very, very simple, very gentle, and the focus is on sensation. Yes. <clears throat> so that means when you're paying attention to sensation, then you're really getting deeper into yourself. Yeah, and you know, like we're talking about earlier, there's a lot of other things that you can learn. Um, not just from a movement perspective and how to move your body in different ways and more efficient ways, but you learn about yourself. Like I lo- I've learned a lot from, you know, what happens when I slow down and I just focus on moving, for instance, maybe, you know, I'm laying on my back and I'm just exploring what happens when I bring my, uh, my knee closer to my shoulder, right? So I'm bending my knee and slowing down to that level. I'll, I'll notice like all the distractions that want to come up. Um, all the things that my mind starts saying, mm-hmm. you know, my, my stories that I have, my critical voice and all this stuff where I then, if I choose mm-hmm. to get the opportunity 
to work with those things as well. Um, and to be able to practice being more present and kind to myself during that process. And I think that is harder to do when you're moving really fast. It's impossible to do when you're fast. Yeah. You can't, you just, you need the, you need time for feedback to take place. Right. So that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we, you know, I'm sure we could talk about so much um, because this topic is so big and, um, you know, there's so many different things we could explore, but is there anything else that you feel like would be valuable for someone that wants to start off on this journey or maybe they're already on this journey and they want to go deeper into it? Mm-hmm. Something crossed my mind just, just as we were speaking just now, and then it's, it's wafted away. That'll happen. <laughs> so I guess it wasn't. That happens to me all the time. <laughs> so um, I like to talk about how I think that body awareness is really useful. And it's useful in not just knowing yourself, but in knowing your limits and knowing your capacities. Mm-hmm and knowing how that changes from one day to the next. Mm -hmm. So that skill is very practical. It seems like lying on the floor and feeling the movement of your knee coming up toward your shoulder wouldn't be a very practical thing. (laughs) (laughs) But it turns out that the more you persist in that kind of slowing down of the self, the more you're able to make good decisions in real time. Because the world doesn't support that. The world wants everything to be fast and to happen yesterday. Yeah. And, and as we're experiencing in this particular time of the virus, yeah. we're all being forced to learn. We're all being forced to slow down. And the people who are not slowing down are miserable. Mm. Right? Yes. So... Learn, learn to let yourself pause. And also, in, in my case, um, I'm this big body awareness guru. You know, I've written three books, not just the one. Yep. And they were all motivated to share the awareness that I've gained from having studied with Ida Rolf. So I know that many people think of rolfing only as body work um, but it's actually a philosophy and the philosophy is what you and i jonathan have been speaking about really it's about being present in yourself through through your body so what i've wanted in all of my books is to to share that perspective in a way that would be useful to people people who would never ever get body work or hear of rolfing or anything like that. Right. Anyway, that's what I've done for the past, I don't know, 30 or 40 years is work on that. And now what has happened to me, you know, with the irony of the universe is that I have a movement disorder. (laughs) So I can no longer move well. I have Parkinson's disease. Wow. That's why I'm taking boxing is because boxing is something that makes you sweat and think at the same time. Mm. And high intensity interval training 
is the only thing that's been shown to slow the progression of Parkinson's, which is progressive. You know, it's right. just you're stuck with. It. So anyway, turns out I love boxing. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is cool. But also, I'm able to manage my symptoms because I have this strong history of knowing my body. Right. I'm not saying I'm totally successful, but but I feel like I mean one of the things, for example, in Parkinson's is that you you lose the autonomic some of the autonomic reflexes, one of which is postural uprightness. Mm-hmm. So people who have Parkinson's tend to be kind of curled over, right. and it's very interesting. I've been you know studying it in myself. It seems to happen right behind the diaphragm. So I'm curious to discover down the road. If it has something to do with breath, with how how I breathe, I don't know. Mm. But there seems to be a very specific set of vertebrae that want to go into flexion. That's fascinating. Are you familiar with Donna Farhi? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I know the work. Yeah. You know her work. Yeah. I found her her book, the breathing book, mm-hmm. to be just incredibly fascinating and um, transformative in my own you know, process and experience, but wow, what a, what a journey you've been on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why, for example, it it affects the voice. Yeah. And so for some reason today I have PD voice just on the day I'm supposed to do a podcast. My voice has gone to, you know, gone back. Well, I appreciate you showing up here anyway. Always. Well, I didn't know, you know, I thought, I wasn't sure talking to anybody and then here we go but anyway what I'm trying to get at is you do not know what's coming down the road right cannot assume that your fitness is going to stand you in in good stead you know 30 years from now you do not know (laughs) but awareness no one can take that away from you yeah absolutely well well said and you know i think about how how much sometimes we take for granted you know our movement capacity and whether we are going to have it or you know in 30 or 40 years or or whether it's just today like appreciating and taking time to celebrate the movement capacity that we have the awareness that we have what our bodies can do because so often we can be stuck judging what they can't do. Exactly. And if I was going to do that, I would just be judging all day long. Yep. Because I can't do stuff anymore. Right. Certain things. Yep. It's really, it's interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Also, another thing I guess I want to say to you guys, because I assume somehow that these listeners are young. I'm going to be 78 next month mm-hmm. and it's a very interesting thing to become old you know it's it's very interesting if you let it be wow. you know if you can be interested right but with awareness you will only be cranky <laughs> <laughs> i mean i know i have friends and they are so cranky right right because they don't have enough awareness to be interested 
Right. Yeah. I mean, what I hear from you is like, and thank you so much for sharing that because ideally I think in these different stages of our life, there present different opportunities for us to be interested in what that stage has to share with us, what that experience can teach us, what we have the opportunity to embody more of at that stage of our life. And I think it's so beautiful that you are leaning into that even amidst your cranky friends. (laughs) Other than that. Right. (laughs) Right. But I think it's still, I think it says something about you. There's a, there's a joke among us older people. It's like you talk about the organ recital. So everybody's talking about their aches and pains. The organ recital, right. Organ recital. Well, thank you so, so much, Mary, for taking the time to share with us your wisdom that you've cultivated of, you know, a lifetime of deep work of really being of, of service. And, uh, I appreciate getting the opportunity to connect with you. Thank you for saying yes to this and thank you for showing up here today. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, where can people, you know, if they're interested in learning more about your work, um, where do you want to direct the listeners to today? It's healyourposture.com. Beautiful. Yeah, check it out. Check out uh, Mary's many books and the great work that she does. And uh, thank you so much again, Mary, for, for being here. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome. Good luck on your journey. Thank you so much. <laughs>